0: This Morning. We have an awesome opportunity. Uh, whenever my dad's in town, I always uh, will go ahead and step aside and let him come and deliver the word. He has a phenomenal message that he told me he just wrote a couple minutes ago for you. Uh, uh, but uh, he's going to come up and, and share with us. My dad's been a seasoned pastor for a long, long time. Um, I'll let him tell you how many years if he so chooses. Uh, but I love hearing him preach and teach. Would you welcome here uh, this morning with us? Good to be here on graduation Sunday. I want to give the advice that my father gave me when I, actually, the day I arrived at college, and he's pulling out. He said, "Oh, son, one more word of advice for college." He said, "Son, don't let your studies interfere with your education." <laughs> so I didn't. <laughs> I graduated in 1971 from high school. I just received in the mail my 50th class reunion. I graduated in 1965, which depicts that I am old. <laughs> <laughs> now, this morning I learned something, though. We were commending we're here primarily for our granddaughter's fifth birthday, which is tomorrow. And my wife says, tomorrow, Corrine, you're going to be Five years old, and a month from tomorrow, on July the 1st, your dad's going to be 33 years old, and the green said, Dad's old. (laughs) That's old, what am I? (laughs) I just spent a little bit of time with Jordan and Mark uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, We were doing some important stuff for a few days. (laughs) Do I need to explain that? While we were catching some fish in the snow in Canada. I mostly did marriage counseling for those two guys, so you pray. We had a good time. We want, uh, Gordon's asked me to uh, do, you're doing biographical studies and I think biographical studies are phenomenal in the scriptures uh, because we can identify with that we want to look today at the life Joseph, in the Old Testament. It's interesting, there are 14 chapters devoted to this person. And as we talk about the life of Joseph, we're going to sketch through all 14 chapters. We should be done by 1.32 o'clock. So just be prepared to go through all that. But it's a long section to understand the book of Genesis. The Old Testament is extremely simple to understand. Historical books, Genesis through Esther. Poetical books, Job through Song of Solomon. And the rest of the books are prophetical books. So it's a really, really easy outline. And so if you understand, in the book of Genesis, I do a thing that I borrowed many years ago called the walk through the Bible, and we walk through Genesis one through eleven, which is a lot of years when it stops in Genesis twelve. With the call of Abraham, Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, Jacob had twelve sons, and the next youngest was Joseph. And so the end of the book of Genesis spends time with Joseph. So I would like you to take Bibles together and with turn to Genesis 37. That's where we will begin. We'll finish this in Genesis <laughs> chapter 50. I do need to tell you as you're turning your Bibles that yesterday I went for a walk. So there's a little park near Jordan's house, and, and uh, grandma took the, little, the girls off for the walk, and I'm way behind, and so I'm walking by myself, and there's a church corner, uh, Church of the Brethren, and I was there, and there was a man in the church that was getting all the grounds and getting everything ready for church, and we started talking. Uh, it takes me a while to talk to people. I'm rather shy and insecure, but uh, <laughs> we were talking a little bit, and he invited me to his church service today. And I said, I should come, because where I'm going tomorrow, the preacher's really, really boring. <laughs> Before we go any further, let's ask God Heavenly Father, this is your word. We're thrilled with that truth. It's not ours. It never has been. Just help us to clarify what you have already said and apply it to our lives. May the Spirit of God dig deeply into our hearts so that we are what you want us to be, not what we want to be. And may your Son be seen in us. And as has been sung today, we'll bless your name and we'll bring glory to your name. And we'll live lives of holiness because you are holy. I thank you that we have a Savior to serve. It's in that Savior's name, the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Did you hear about the man that went to a psychiatrist and he says, Doc, I'm having real problems. The doctor said, well, what's the problem? He said, well, I'm having problems with my dreams. Two nights ago I drank about a teepee. Last night I dreamt about a wigwam. Tucker said, I know your problem. You're too tense. It <laughs> took a while, didn't it? <laughs> We're going to talk today about tension. Tension in the life of Jordan. Jordan, in the life of Joseph. <laughs> of tension. It takes tension to make us do some thinking. I believe tension is essential for salvation. Most people when they come to hear the gospel for the first time and they start devouring the gospel, they come with tense feelings because they have to see that they're sinners and most people don't want to hear that truth that they're sinners separated from an almighty God. That creates tension because once they conclude they're sinners, they have to do something about their sin problem. And many times people have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ in times of tension, when tragedies have taken place in their lives. And if you've never made that decision to trust Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior, we encourage you to do that even today. In fact, that's more important than anything I'm going to preach. You need to come to know Christ as your own personal Savior because you are given the forgiveness of sin, the gift of eternal life. You become a member of God's family forever. But once you trust Christ as Savior, we also find there's tension. In fact, what led to this was one of my professors in seminary who just passed away a little while ago by the name of Dr. Howard Hendricks. And Dr. Hendricks said one day in class, tension is essential to growth. Without tension, we will not grow. I found when I was a freshman in college that I was confronted in a church service. I went to a very strict college and we were required to go to church Sunday mornings, Sunday night and Wednesday night. In a Sunday night service, I heard a message preached on a passage of scripture that I had heard 400 times before. But the Spirit of God created tension in my life that night. And the passage is Romans chapter 12, verse 1, that's very familiar. I beg of you, I don't command you, I beg of you, therefore, brethren, upon the basis of all that I've done for you, the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto me, which is your logical or reasonable act of worship. I went down to my dorm, walked into a room, and got on my knees, and I said to God, there's tension going on right now. I'm a preacher's kid and I told God when I was in high school I would do anything you want me to do, Lord. I was saved. But I will not become a pastor. I felt I grew up in a glass house and I did not like it. My dad's in ministry in a larger community, Rochester, Minnesota. He's on the radio. All my friends who were doctor's kids if you know anything about that time. And I was being watched in every move. And God broke my heart that night there was tension. And I said to God I hope you don't take offense with this, but I did. I said to God I'll do anything you want me to do, even if it means becoming a pastor. And God broke me. You see, tension is essential to growth. And the life of Joseph is filled with tension. So let's look at some of the tension in his life. Starting with the tension with his brothers, starting in chapter 37 of Genesis. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man, now only 17 years old, was tending the flock with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah, the sons of Zilphah, his father's wives, and brought their fathers a bad report about them. Now Israel, now put it in some of your translations you may say Jacob, that Jacob was changed to Israel. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age, he had made, he had made a richly ornamented, ornamented robe for him, and that ornamented robe was what we call the coat of many colors. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. <laughs> wow, we have a problem. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, Listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out of the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. And I underlined that in my Bible. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream and this time the sun and moon and eleven stars are barring down to me. When he told his fathers as well as his brothers, his fathers rebuked him and said, what is this dream that you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. The tension is first with his brothers for two reasons. Number one, because of his dad. His dad was not a good dad. His dad showed something that no parent should do. Favoritism. Have you not found, moms and dads, that none of your children, whether there's more than one, are alike? They each have their temperament, they each have their personality, they each have their strengths, they each have their weaknesses. But dad loved Joseph the more, number one, because now he was produced through his favorite wife, and then secondly, because of his age and the timing of everything, and he favored Joseph. Wow. How do you think the other brothers felt? They knew that. They weren't happy with that. And the sign of that was the coat of many colors. The many ornamented coat. Secondly, because of his mind. I've always wondered when I've read this passage why he did this. Have you ever thought about that? If he had the dream, now he could have looked at two perspectives. He could have looked at it in a funny way and said, Hey, I had this dream, guys. I don't think he did it that way. I think he egotistically said, I had this dream, and I want to tell you what's going to happen. And I always wondered, why did he tell him? Because that would only create more problems. And it did. But obviously, that created deep tension between him and his brothers. So let's lead to the second point. Now we have tension brought on by the brothers. Verse 12. Now his brothers have gone to graze their fathers near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks of Shechem. Come, and I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to them, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before they reached him, they plotted, because of what had happened in the first point of tension, to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of the cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dream." When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life. He said, don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. He had a plan. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites, or Midianites, coming from Gilead. Their cameras were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. The second part of tension was brought on by the brothers. And how did they respond? They sold him. They wanted to kill him. But they sold him to the Ishmaelites, the Midianites. And they thought this would solve the problem. But there's a second thing they did. They lied to their dad about this. Notice verse 26. Judas said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. They did. So when the Midianites, verse 28, came by, the brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern, sold him to, to the 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brother and said, The boy isn't here. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornamented robe back to their father and said, We have found this. Examine to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, In morning will I go down to the grave to my son. So his father wept for him. Wow. First thing, sold to the Minneax. Second thing, they lied to death. Now, have you ever tried to put yourself in Joseph's position? And many of you know this story. He's in the pits. Literally. And I bet when he was there, he wondered, what was going to happen to me? Have you ever been in some tense situations? I think of you who are graduates. I remember when I graduated from high school. I had made deep plans to what I wanted to do, and I heard these students say different things, where they're going, one young man going to Word of Life, and uh, I've heard Jack Wurtzen preach many, many a time, and he's not with us anymore. uh, your goals and direction. I remember when I graduated from high school, I had applied to three schools. One was Kent State University. I would have been there at an interesting time, those of you who are historical. But uh, a very interesting time. I applied to Ohio State University Engineering Program. I wanted to go into math. My father, who is traveling now around the country preaching, called me up in California one day, and he said, son, what are you going to do? I said, I think I'm going to go to Ohio State Engineering. He said, would you consider one year of a Christian college? He knew I wasn't where I was supposed to be spiritually. That's how Romans 12 came into my life. I even said to God, I'll stay at this Christian college one more year and take some Bible, and if I like it, (laughs) I did. (laughs) And <laughs> I stayed and just kept on going. That was tremendous. How did Joseph handle it? He's in the pits? What's going to happen? Don't you think things were going through his mind? How about you? When you're going through real times of tension. Let's look at the third area of tension. Because of that led to some other things. Because now... The Midianites take him to where? Egypt. And he begins working, chapter 39. He begins working for a man by the name of Potiphar. Notice verse 1, and we won't read the whole text, but it says, Joseph had had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officers, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. Now, I want you to underline the next verse. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered. We know what took place. When his master saw that the Lord was... Now watch that. When his master saw that the Lord, whom he didn't even know, was with him, and that the Lord, whom he didn't even know, gave him great success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household. And he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. Watch, God was involved in his life all through this. And when you go through tense times, he's involved in your life all through this. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left Joseph, in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. Very good looking young man. Um, Some of you know that I'm a a substitute teacher in the local schools. I've told that story before. Uh, Recently I went into the classroom and I said, I just finished doing a video entitled Abs of Steel. (laughs) They laughed too. <laughs> now Joseph was a well built man, now like me. And handsome, not like me. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. What's the next area of tension? Seduction. Tension because of the seduction. Come to bed with me. She wanted him. He was attractive to her. Boy, did he have a testimony. And that's what I wrote down here. Already he had established his walk with the Lord, so that Potiphar had recognized that, so that Joseph could say no. Notice verse 8. But he refused. That doesn't fit 2015, does it? I'm wanted, sounds good, would feel good. No one would know, but whom? The Lord. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he's entrusted to me. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing? Notice this and sin against God. Now when I read that, I started asking questions. Where did he learn about God? Did he learn about God through the scriptures that he had? No, they weren't written yet. Who wrote the first book of the Bible? Moses. Moses wasn't even born yet. In other words, he had been taught the things of our wonderful Lord from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob in spite of Jacob's ups and downs and where the word of God was taught is where it's supposed to be taught today. (coughs) In the home. And he knew about almighty Jehovah God. He had fallen in love with him (coughs) and some of the songs that we sang today were all about the love of God. We're going to talk about that at the end of the day. But what a testimony. And I'm going to ask you a question this morning. Does the world around you, when you have completed Revelation from God of 66 books, you can fall more and more in love with the Lord than ever because you have the Revelation of God in your lives, you have the Spirit of God living within you by faith in Jesus Christ. Does the world around you say what His Master said about Him? He knew that he knew the Lord. He knew that he had a God that took care of him. Does the world say that about you and me? Does the world say to you, wow, I don't know what it is you have, but I like what you have, I want it? (coughs) Why didn't he give in to the seduction? Because he didn't want to harm the name of the very Lord that he loved. A number of years ago, God brought into my life a young man. I remember Jordan watching this young man in high school in a play and just getting caught up with that night that we were in high school watching this young man play. After he got out of high school, he got married to a girl from Iowa wedding was over there, we weren't part of that, and a number of years later they split up. He comes to me one day and he says, I'm dating a girl from Bettendorf, Iowa. Can you talk to her? Sure. Got a time alone with her, and he was there a little bit, and the beauty of that night is, in tears, she came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as her own did a wonderful wedding testimony to her parents. He became a fireman in our community. And two years ago, he met someone else. Fell in love with another woman who was married and had a family and decided to run off with her and divorce this tried to call him on the phone, he didn't want to hear from me, so I just went over to the bar department. And I walked in, and I looked him in the face, and I said, I'm not worried that you're harming the name of our church, because you are. I'm very concerned you're harming the very name of the Savior you claim to know. You know what he said to me? I know that's true, but I don't care. that you harm the name of the very Savior. Savior. You see, as you look at your outline, what a testimony. Because your second point, he was a man of something I think we've lost. He was a man <coughs> of conviction. He knew what he stood for, he, know who, he knew who he stood for, and he knew why he stood for that Lord Jesus Christ. In this case, it would be Jehovah God. What a testament. Well, the end result of this was what happens in the lives of Christians. You do that which is right, and everything goes wrong. Has that ever happened to you? He did the right thing. What happened, chapter 39? goes to jail for this. For doing the right thing. Now, I believe his testimony was at stake here because if Potiphar really believed that he had had an affair with his wife, he should have killed him. And Potiphar knew of his testimony that he was a consistent person. He wasn't a liar. He told the truth. So he compromised. And instead of killing him, put him in jail. So there's your fourth bit of tension. He's now in prison. Chapter 39 still. Um, And he's in prison... And he's meeting some people. But it says this, verse 19: when his master heard the story his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Yeah, he's all he doesn't know what to believe. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, I love this, the Lord was with him. The tense times of life, the Lord's with you. In fact, probably we really sense him more. <laughs> He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison and was made responsible for the all that was done there. <coughs> there was tension now going on in this situation. He's now in prison. So what happened? Chapter forty. He met a butcher and a baker, but not a candlestick maker. No, I'm there. Okay. <laughs> And these two guys are in prison with him. <clears throat> and he interprets their dreams. Where did he get the background to interpret dreams? The Lord. And he interpreted them properly. In chapter 40, we find the interpreta- inter- interpretation of dreams, verses 1 and actually through the whole section, verse 40. And then he interprets the other one's dreams. And he says to them, when you leave here, if you get out, the first guy, the dream was a good dream, and you're going to get out of prison, and everything's going to go well. The second one, you're going to get out, but it's not going to go well, and you're going to be in trouble. But in either case, I want you to go out and tell. Please tell them what happened. So I can get out of jail. What happened? Well, he interpreted the dreams, and then go to verse 23 of chapter 40." The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Wow. Have you ever sensed when you're going through those tense times you're just totally forgotten? The one encouraging thing in this text, I do not believe Joseph ever felt he was forgotten by the Lord, but he was forgotten by people, and people seem to bring harm to us when we're really going through tension. We're going through tough times in our lives. We're going through pressure. How long was he in prison for doing the right thing? Thirteen years. What? Thirteen years. For doing the right thing. So let's quickly go through these chapters. He finally gets out of prison, and he becomes second in charge to the pharaoh. He must have had great skills in administration and he must have had a personality that drew people to him. And guess what happens in the land of Israel? Famine. The family comes down, the brothers come down, they heard that there was a situation there where there was crops. Why were there crops and why was there plenty there? Because Joseph said to Pharaoh, what did he say? There's going to be good years and then there's going to be bad years start saving up during the good years. So they had plenty. And Israel, the nation of Israel had heard this and the brothers had heard this. They go down and they meet the leader who gave them direction. Now go with me to chapter 45 as we go through this text. Because now we're going to come to the final tension. From tension in prison, now he's out. Tension with his brothers. Verse 1. Then Joseph could no longer control himself. I've always wondered about this. There must have been some appearance issue, the way they dressed, the way he had changed over these 27 years. He did not look like Joseph. They did not know it was Joseph. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he had made himself known to his brothers, and he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. And Pharaoh's household heard about it. Now the next verse is the key one. Joseph said to his brothers, can you imagine this? I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? Can you fathom this? Here are the two points. Number one, they The tension was now again with his brothers, but the tension was with them, not Joseph. And two responses. Verse 3, they were terrified. Can you imagine? I'm convinced all those years they thought either he died or he's just totally remote. We know nothing about him. To see him second in power in the great nation of Egypt, and to see who he was and to say, I was just why would they be terrified? Look what we did to him. They'd be frightened. They were terrified. But I want you to see Joseph's attitude, and you've heard this verse, chapter 15, verse 20, is the key to all of this. I know we're working our way through. Have you seen all the way through this text from chapter 37 on, the Lord with him? Verse 20. He looked at his brothers, and you know the whole story where he got Benjamin to come down, and the dad was afraid to lose Benjamin, and finally dad came down. There was all this nervousness going on. And then Joseph said to them, the brothers, verse 19, don't be afraid, am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. But God intended for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives, the nation of my people, Israel. What's your attitude and intention? How do you handle it when the finances cave in? Last month, when I was balancing our bank statement, I forgot to enter a check. It was about $400. Oops. What happens when all of a sudden the bills are greater than the income? And how, if you're the one that does the balancing, do you explain to your mate that? Financial pressure is great. Financial tension is horrible in homes. Some people ask me how I finance my fishing trips. I got a plan. Save your $5 bills. It works. And then I say to my wife, is it alright if we go to Canada? And you know what she says? Go doesn't bother at all what happens when your marriage is tense you're struggling you're not agreeing on things it may not be finances it may be some other issue it may be the next area of parenting you know what I don't know what I've done here. I keep bring her in now. Do you know what? The hardest part of parenting. Are you ready for this? When you're raising teenagers. I've had experience. <laughs> <laughs> but you and your wife aren't clicking. You and your husband aren't yelling. You walk in and there's this quietness, what do I say? There's tension. You see the kids rebelling. Are we on the same page? There's tension. I watch all the way through as I read this text and watch the text and I see every time Joseph stood true to the Lord. I don't understand why he told those dreams. I do understand that the Lord was with him and he stood true to the Lord. Dear folks, I don't know you real well. But you're human beings. You're human being Christians who have times of tension. So I want to give you three principles from this book to finish this up. Number one. love the Lord. I think sometimes it made the Christian life too difficult. Just fall more and more in love with the Lord. 27 years ago, um, 27 and a half years ago, I got married. I'm more in love with my wife today than ever before. I do need for you to know that The students that I subbed for at the high school asked me all the time, and I've told you this before, if she was desperate or blind, but... (laughs) I love her more today than I did 27 years ago. You love the Lord like that. I've been challenged by a lady in my church. Because some of you ask, when are you going to retire? And um, it's kind of her schedule, we're getting into this. But she said to me, I remember a sermon you preached where you said, all Christians start well, some Christians in the middle live okay, but very few finish well, and you want to finish well, don't you? I said, yeah, I do. Well, it's all got to center around my love for the Lord. And what happened in Joseph's life? He loved the Lord, and he knew that God was sovereign and in control. And if you saw all the circumstances in his life, that's exactly what took place. He's in control of those finances, people. Doesn't mean you don't have responsibility. He's in control of your marriage. He's in control <laughs> of your parenting. He's in control of that job. Now we have responsibility through all of them. But love the Lord. Secondly, and this is one thing I really want to talk about, and it won't be long, but just get you thinking. Develop conviction. This is right. This is wrong. And my culture tells me that's not true. Illustration. My wife's a school teacher. A while back, her comrades said, she wants to go down to, we were from Illinois, wants to go down to Springfield and we want to look at what this time for retirement for her will develop and we've got to go into this Teacher Retirement Association to find out some answers. They said, take a day off and count it a sick day, they called it a mental health day. We all do it. And my wife said to the teachers that said that to her, I can't. But we all do it. Her conviction said, I'm a child of Have yeah, that kind of conviction. But everybody's cheating on the test. But everybody's taking some of those things from work. But everybody takes a 45 minute lunch hour instead of a half an hour like they want. We all do it. And the list goes on. It? I borrowed something from someone and I destroyed it. I'll just give it back to them in the destroyed way, right? I'm not responsible for that. It was theirs. Are we people who have such strong convictions that we are marked by those convictions in a culture that doesn't happen? Joseph was. And finally, learn dependence. Upon the Lord. If there's one big idea about the Christian life, is it is a dependent life. If I think I can run my life on my own strength, I mess it up every time. He learned dependence upon the Lord. That's the key. Joseph. If God were to take you, would he give you tension to grow? I finish with a story by Chuck Swindle. We need tension for growth. In the northeastern United States, codfish are not only delectable, they are a big com- a big commercial business. There's a market for Eastern cod all over, especially in sections farthest removed from the northeast coast. But the public demand posed a problem to the shippers. At first, they froze the cod and shipped them elsewhere, but the freeze took away much of the flavor. So they experimented with shipping them alive in tanks of seawater. But that proved even worse. Not only was it more expensive, the cod still lost its flavor. In addition, became soft and mushy. The texture was seriously affected. Finally, Some creative souls solved the problem in a most innovative way. The codfish were placed in a tank of water, along with their natural enemy, the catfish. Put in there, tension. From the time the cod left the East Coast until it arrived at its westernmost destination, those ornery catfish chased the cod all over the tank. And you guessed it. When the cod arrived at the market, they were as fresh as they were when they were first caught there was no loss of flavor, nor was the texture affected. If anything, it was better than before. A couple of questions seem worth asking. First, can you name some catfish swimming in your tank? Some tensions. Maybe you live with one of them. <laughs> Swindle said that. <laughs> or it's somebody at work with irritating, whose irritating presence drives you to your knees several times a week. Every church has a few catfish as well. They're there to keep all the cod. Yeah, I'll keep reading. They're there to keep all the cod from getting soft, mushy, and tasteless. Second, have you given thanks for them lately? Yesterday we talked about God's mission. This is a sermon series of being to shape you into the image of His Son. Just think, it's that tension in the tank that helps the image emerge with the right attitude that we can learn how to keep from resenting them as intruders as the chase continues. Dear folks, God took Joseph and took that tension. He grew more and more in love with the Lord. Develop deeper convictions and even grew more dependent upon the Lord. Look at the tensions of your life and let the Lord do that in your life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you. And that's hard to say, but I thank you for the tensions of life. As I get older and struggle with decisions for the future, I still know you're in control and you're taking care of me. Lord, help all of us to fall more and more in love with you. Help us, Lord, to develop deep conviction because of your name. Lord, help us always to be dependent upon you as Joseph was. Guide this church, guide these people, use them for your glory. In Christ's name,